Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny hey everyone, Johnny, and welcome to episode 93 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Chris Baki. Uh, he's from One Weird Globe as well as Choose Away, which is a interactive guidebook company. Uh, his blog is about traveling to weird places. So I'm kind of excited to talk about both the subjects. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me on, Johnny. Yeah. So where exactly uh, did you start on this and where are you now? I am currently calling you from Medellin, Colombia. Um, and uh, my wife and I have been here about three and a half months. It's been a fun time exploring South America for the first time. We lived in Asia for several years, took a trip around Europe for a few months, and Medellin's our first stop in South America. Okay, cool. Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about uh, South America. I'm currently in Johannesburg, South Africa. So this is uh, kind of different because most of the time I interview people I meet in person, you know, usually they're traveling through Chiang Mai or somewhere else. Uh, but now that I'm I'm traveling in South Africa and, and I haven't met any entrepreneurs here yet, it gives me kind of excuse to reach out to people over Skype. So this is kind of fun. I mean, we're literally in the, the two furthest places in the world from each other. <laughs> Just about, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine if, if you're going, if you get someone from Canada or maybe like northern Russia, maybe you get that, uh, that further distance away sort of thing. No, actually, uh, Colombia, at least the Medellin area, is actually at the northern hemisphere. And it's a fact I got wrong uh, even after moving here a few weeks in. I was wondering when the seasons were going to start changing. And I'm going, hang on, let's look at this map. Nope, we are actually in the northern hemisphere. Well, but, you know, I, I would have absolutely assumed that it was uh, below the equator as well, just because it's <laughs> South America, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hear South America and you think, okay, southern hemisphere, the, the, the organizers of the globe must have figured this out a while back. Now, um, when I was younger, me and where in the world is Carmen San Diego got along really well. As an adult, you kind of lose the track of these sorts of things. But now, Medellin, Colombia, it's a beautiful city. Um, it's commonly referred to as having a spring like feel all year round. Um, what that hides is it rains most of the year as well, it doesn't have a distinct rainy season or dry season that I've been able to figure out. But it's almost always in that 25, 26 uh, high sort of range. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so, so for, for Americans, that's like 80, 90. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nice springtime, comfortable uh, t- temperature. I can go outside with a shorts and T-shirt anytime. Uh, my wife gets cold a little bit more easily, so she'll wear some, some jeans or trousers instead. Okay. So what, what actually made you guys go to – Columbia. Well, we had been living in Asia uh, for about five years, and we had decided to kind of branch out from Asia. Asia was fun, and we did a lot of cool stuff in Asia. Um, and I think the next uh, question was, well, where can we live next that we can uh, that we can afford? You know, we'd love to live in Europe, and once our businesses begin taking off, they're going to. We're going to head that way, but uh, for now, South America was sort of the unexplored continent, and uh, it was confirmed after actually going to the TBEX in Spain earlier this year. I met tons of bloggers that had tons of experience in North America, in Europe, in Asia, and as I was asking around, we had been thinking about South America, and I asked, okay, who's been to South America? You know, show of hands, 
and almost nobody had had any real experience on the continent. And I thought, there, there's an entire continent of stuff to see out there, and people that go for the, on the package tours, they know the Galapagos Islands, they know Machu Picchu, they might go down all the way to southern Argentina because that's close to Antarctica. There's a whole continent of stuff to see there, so... Um, that kind of made the decision a bit easier. Yeah, as I, far I can as imagine sh- that most of the people that you met, especially, well, you know, to be kind of surprised that people in Spain, uh, I, I guess it's a little bit different, but if you meet, let's say, travel bloggers in Thailand uh, at the bloggers retreat or, you know, just entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia in general, you know, it makes sense that they would have traveled around there more than they have South America. Mm-hmm. But have you met a lot of other digital nomads or entrepreneurs since you've been to South America? A few. Um, they're, they're here. In fact, it's interesting. Some of the places that recommended Chiang Mai uh, back in the day as uh, a place for digital nomads to come and settle and crash while they're uh, bootstrapping their business or whatever, uh, some of those places are actually recommending Medellin now as well. Chiang Mai is still great. Chiang Mai is an awesome city. We lived there for six months. And uh, I think the, the option behind choosing Medellin is partially the language and also partially the culture. Um, basically, if you know Spanish and you're already reasonably comfortable in Spanish, uh, Medellin is going to feel like a much better fit than, than Chiang Mai could. Um, doesn't have the coffee culture of Chiang Mai. So if you're looking for the coffee, stick with Chiang Mai. <laughs> but um, You know, that's surprising. Yeah, I think a lot of people would assume that Colombia, you know, Colombian coffee would be great. But the fact is they, they probably export most of those good beans. And then... Yeah, they actually, that's, that's correct. The hidden secret is that most of the, supposedly, the best, the best stuff gets exported. The good stuff gets kept and sold on the high end. Everything else gets um, gets thrown into the mix for uh, for the local consumption, and it makes sense on some level. The best beans abroad get what nine ten dollars a pound. <laughs> By the time you roast it and ground it and everything else that goes into the process of making coffee, you can get a whole lot more for that same coffee bean abroad than you could in the in the local market. I can pick up a bag of Colombian coffee, like five hundred gram bag, local. You know, brand nothing fancy about it for two and a half bucks, maybe three three US dollars. Yeah, and, and how drinkable was that? That's very. I'm drinking it right now. Okay. Nice. <laughs> What's funny is the coffee I'm drinking right now is from Fremantle, Australia, and I, it was given to me as a gift by this guy named Gavin. Uh, so shout out to Gavin Williams. You know, big thank you for the coffee. He brought it from Fremantle, which is I guess a small town in Australia that's known for their coffee. And he gave it to me at the dropshipping retreat in Krabi, Thailand. And then now nice. I'm drinking it here in South Africa. So it's such, so crazy uh, how big of a, you know, I mean, the the whole, even just the beans itself. I mean, how, how far it's traveled just for me to have this cup. Welcome to the flat world, my friend. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you started uh, traveling, you said in 2008. What were you doing before then? Um, just before I left the U.S., I was teaching computer classes to the local library and throwing newspapers, of all things. I would get up around 2.30 a.m. I would drive to the warehouse on the outskirts of town. I'd pick up a couple hundred newspapers. I would wrap them or bag them as if it was raining. And then uh, drive into downtown Lexington, Kentucky, uh, throw the newspapers. Uh, I would usually be done by about 6 or 6.30. And at that point, I went home, took a shower, cleaned up, changed clothes, got in my khakis and polo shirt mode, 
then drove to the library to teach uh, a computer class or two every day. These were basic computer classes, the sort of classes that anyone can sign up for at the local library for free. Um, and some of them started with, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Chris. Thanks for coming today. This is a keyboard. And I held up a keyboard. Wow. This is a mouse. And I held up a mouse. This is a hard drive. I held up a hard drive. The second half of that first class was primarily spent on a mouse tutorial created by Microsoft. This is how to left-click. This is how to right-click. This is how to double-click. And every so often, I'd get a person come up and ask, well, why don't we double-right-click? And I never honestly thought, I don't know. Hmm. You should write Microsoft and ask them that. Oh, I think I'll do that. Thank you. And <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're someone... not dealing with that anymore. And, and I can't believe yeah. you used to wake up at 2.30 in the morning to start work. That's insane. You know, actually, um, believe it or not, uh, for, all the, for all the awkwardness that ensues of waking up when everyone's going to bed, um, it actually worked out pretty decently. Um, I got up at 2.30, and the computer class would finish at noon. So a few minutes after noon, I'm done for the day. I can go home, I can get my shopping done, I can get whatever I needed to do done. I just couldn't stay out all night because, again, you know, 2.30 comes pretty early when you're waking up to it. Yeah, so um, what time would you go to bed normally then? Uh, typically around uh, 8 p.m. or so. Okay. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys I knew, he was a, a nighttime DJ, so he was used to, you know, late nights and early mornings and stuff. So what he would do, he would wake up at 6 p.m. or so, he'd go to the club, do his DJ shift, He'd get off, he'd you know, clean up or something, and then he'd go uh, to the warehouse, pick up his papers, and he'd be done by 6 a.m. And uh, so the term night owl really, really comes to mind. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're glad you're not doing that with these uh, crazy hours anymore. I mean, just being jet lagged and being on an off schedule for a week or two, it, it, I can feel it's not good for my health. You know, I'm not, I produce the melatonin when I'm sleeping. Uh, I just don't feel as, as focused, even with all this coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes no amount, of co- no amount of coffee can help you. It's really about getting good sleep and stuff. Yeah, so super important. And that's another reason why I love being a digital nomad would be able to work for myself is we – it's in our control. You know, We no longer have that excuse of, well, we can't get eight hours of sleep or we can't sleep during normal hours because uh, of our job you know, or because of the commute or whatever it is. Now, if we don't sleep well, we don't eat well, we, you know, we're not taking care of ourselves. We know 100% it's our own life choice. And we have the option of, of, you know, of pursuing it well, you know, we have the, and and I think at digital nomads, we actually have more information, good quality information than the average person does, because we have access to, you know, not only we have the free time to read books, but it's also part of our culture to, you know, to mm. grab our Kindles and uh, sit on an eight-hour plane ride and just crush it. Yeah. Well, I think another thing that comes up with digital nomads, and I, I've noticed this myself, we, we moved, when we lived in Thailand, we lived in Thailand for uh, Bangkok for six months, in Chiang Mai for six months, in uh, Khan Ken for six months, in Krabi for six months. We'll be here in Medellin for six months, and we'll probably go somewhere else for six months or so. That's kind of been our, our sweet spot there. But every time you move, you've got to pack your stuff up. You've got to change your habits. You've got to get comfortable in a new place. And you want to do this fast so you don't spend four months getting used to a place and then, oh, it's time to move. Uh, So what ends up happening is you end up getting comfortable breaking your old habits and starting new ones in a way that 
feels very natural. If you've lived in the same house for 20 years, if you've had the same job for 20 years, you've had the same habits, arguably, since you got married or you, your kids came, you know, you've had the same habits for years and years. It feels like an impossible Herculean task to break them. And right. if you build it into your mindset, you build it into your lifestyle from the very beginning that these habits are temporal, they're something that you're in control of, your habits are not in control of you. And if you allow yourself to remember that your habits can and should change, um, even if there's not always a, a perfectly good logical reason, sometimes you need just to shake things up. You know? You know what? Actually, you make a good point. Uh, since, so since I've been here, I'm staying at Larissa's family's house, and they live in this next to a nature reserve. So... It's a big gated community with like electric fences everywhere. But what's cool is they have this park that's like just on top of the hill. So it's maybe a 10 minute walk, uh, but inside the community. And next, on the opposite side of this electric fence, there are wild, you know, kudus and bucks and gazelles and giraffes and zebras. And you don't always see them. But what I've been doing is every single morning, very first thing. So instead of me just going on my laptop, like, you know, what I would do let's say back home, back in Chiang Mai, just start working straight away. I decided, you know what, because the the time zone here is so different. And when I wake up, it's midnight in the US and I don't need to reply to anyone anyways. Let me change up my habits and let me go for a walk in the morning, you know, go over to Mm -hmm. this park, see if I can spot any, any wild animals. And then, you know, really just start my morning slow and work uh, in the afternoon, uh, and sometimes even just after dinner, just because so I can match the time zone, and it's very different than what I was doing in Chiang Mai. But you know it, what you said, it still works. It just it just feels more natural like this. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? Um, I, well, actually, you're you're a fellow digital nomad, so I'm sure you know these. Um, next time you have that issue where you go, hey, I, sh- I know I know the time zones don't quite match. Um, Gmail has Streak, and there's also Boomerang. These are two different uh, extensions. I think they're for Chrome and maybe Firefox. And what they do is you write the post as you would any other post. And instead of hitting send, a little button comes up next to it that basically says send later. So you could schedule the post to match whatever time zone you want it to go to. Now, certainly you can you know, wait until it's the proper time, but sometimes that's not always feasible or possible. Sometimes you do your best writing in the morning or whenever you wake up or right before you go to bed. So what I found is that that's actually a fun little way of writing emails when it's convenient for you, but not necessarily sending them until it's the right time for them to be received. You know, I actually do use uh, Boomerang and I love it. Yeah. And what's funny is I used to stress about that, especially with my my customers from my dropshipping store because I didn't want to email them at four in the morning or two in the morning having them think like, what's going on, you know? Because they assume I'm in the U.S. You know, it's a U.S. company. Mm-hmm. We sell to Americans. We we ship from the U.S. And when I started, you know, I think the first couple of times where I forgot to click send later and I just clicked sent, it freaked me out. I was thinking, oh my god, they're gonna reply asking why are you emailing me two in the morning? Or worse, when my suppliers would, um, you know, I would send it to them. They would, I would, I would wonder if they would think, okay, you know, where are you in the world? And after a few times, I realized nobody cared. And one of my suppliers would actually email me back at one in the morning from their phone. And I think she oh. likes me more now because she assumes I'm working my butt off at two in the morning, you know, <laughs> sending emails. Yeah, so the, the, the digital after effects of a, of a nomadic lifestyle, it should be a master's thesis. Mm-hmm. 
but somewhere. But one thing I do use uh, the Senator for is when I am on the same time zone as someone and they start mm-hmm. you know, going back and forth with the emails as if it was instant chat. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll write them a long email with you know bullet points of everything we need to talk about. And then I'll click send later. And that way it cuts that instant chat off and they know, okay, I need to be more concise with these e- emails. You know, Johnny, you know, this, that's not his style to go back and forth. Like it's, um, you know, like it's a chat room. Let me, yeah. let me, you know, th- you know, actually think about this email. Let me write out everything, you know, all the questions in one. And then, you know, we only have one email going back and forth per day. Yeah. Yeah. That, that saves so much time. I like it. With anything you're doing. All right. So what do you, you said, you mentioned at first that you like living in places for about six months at a time. Why, why do you think that is? I think the simple answer is that it became uh, a, a, def, a, a standard way of, of getting things done after uh, what happened in Bangkok. We've been living in Bangkok for about five months. We were signed, in, signed to a one-year lease in an apartment, and we had a one-year business visa, and we were all good there. I just didn't want to be in Bangkok anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, wasn't really a huge fan of the city. Um, an opportunity came up where a friend was looking for a bigger apartment, and she was looking for some of the f- photo studio stuff that I had. So we made an arrangement wherein she bought the uh, photography stuff. She moved into the bigger apartment right around the six-month mark, and uh, you know it, it was it's one of those win-win-wins. Everything got cleared with everyone it needed to be cleared with, and uh, we moved on to Chiang Mai. At that point, we went, well, we've got about six months uh, left on our visas, and then we'll figure out what we want to do next. And um, six months on, um, we began thinking, okay, well, what's next? Let's think about another business visa or another visa of some kind in Thailand. And a one-year visa breaks into two six-month periods very nicely. So we thought, okay, well, we've lived in the we've lived in Bangkok, we've lived in the north. Uh, let's try the eastern part of Thailand, the more rural part, and then the south. And that'll be, you know, two nice years in Thailand. Lived in all four major areas of the country, and since then, it's kind of felt like just the right amount of time to get to know a city or get to know area really well. Um, and then move on from it before it gets to be too boring. Um, three to four months probably could work for some people, um, and a year could probably work for some people. Uh, with a year, it begins. It can be a little bit more difficult getting the um, the visas uh, all sorted in some countries or situations. Uh, I know in Thailand, for example, they were really cracking down on the education visa because it had been abused by a lot of folks. So. Getting that year-long education visa may not be as uh, possible now as it was uh, a while back. So, um, but yeah, six months in most, ca- in most cases in most countries, getting a six-month visa uh, works is, is relatively easy to get. Doesn't require a whole lot of jumping through hoops and such. Yeah, I think that's perfect, and especially because with with six months, you can start getting uh, really good leases on like condos and things like that, where they might not want to lease month to month or rent month to month, but you know, and they might say they want it for a year, but usually pieces will take six months just because it's so long enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, what it also does is it kind of lets you settle into a routine, which everyone, everyone needs. Um, but what it also does is it forces you to change that routine up every, every six months or so. You'll find that as long as you're in the same country and time zone, some, some elements of that routine stay the same. You know, you can... Uh, 
you, you know roughly when the locals eat dinner, for example, whether it's an early thing or a late thing. Um, you know when the, the great times to go grocery shopping are, if it's, if it's best to go in the mornings or the evenings to avoid the lines. So, you know, you've already figured out some aspects of the routine, but enough of it changes when you move that uh, it begins to feel different. You know, I, I think that's awesome, uh, especially because after about – eight months or if you know you're going to be some for a year, you start buying crap, you start accumulating things that you might not need. And I think that's what happened to me in Chiang Mai because we signed a one-year lease on our condo and we knew, okay, well, now I can justify buying an ice cream maker because we need it for a year. I can justify buying a juicer and all these things. And now I'm kind of tied down to all these things. So I'm almost kind of mm-hmm. looking forward to the next time I purge, sell everything, you know, move move somewhere else for a few months. And... I think from that point on, you know, maybe unless I was really going to settle down, uh, I'll, I'll try to keep my, my bag light. Exactly. Yeah, that, and actually that's one thing I was telling some expats or, or people that wanted to be expats. Um, they asked me, like, what's the secret to the expat life? And on one level, there's a quote from the movie Zombieland. Have you seen Zombieland? Uh, I, I, you know what? Part of it, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. So um, – in the movie, he's running from zombies, and he's got this guy's got all these different rules he has to keep safe and survive and stuff. And one of them is no baggage. And he he talks in the movie about it being both a physical thing, not having lots of bags to weigh you down while you're running from zombies, but also emotionally. Um, and in, in my case, I'm talking more about the physical sense. The more crap you have to carry around the world, the harder it is to feel like you can actually move around the world. So every six months when we move, there's a purge. Um, it's not always pretty. It's not always uh, awesome to do. Um, but you inev- humans inevitably collect stuff, um, the sort of stuff that seemed necessary or useful when you bought it. But six months in, a year in, the longer it's been since you bought it, the more you go, do I still need that? Do I still use that? And so um, when it comes down to the reality of, okay, I have a carry-on suitcase, I have a computer bag, and I can get a bigger thing, a a bigger piece of luggage if I want, but that's what I want to get it down to. I want to try to get as much of it as I can into a carry-on and a computer bag. And um, uh, just the the notion of that sounds impossible Mm -hmm. to some people because they're like, how do you do that? Don't you have so much stuff? Yeah, I don't keep it all. Mm-hmm. I like it. So now you've been to a bunch of countries. So you, you started in Korea, went all through for, through Asia, uh, and now you're in South America. Uh, actually, no, so you went to, to Europe for a while too. Uh, mm-hmm. So far, out of all these places, if you had to just pick one, where would you, where would you spend the next year? Oh, man. Is money no object? Money's no object. Money's no object. Okay. I would probably go back to Germany, actually. Okay. And what part? I had a great time. Um, I, had, I personally had a blast in the Berlin area. I'd love to explore that scene. Um, we were there for a little over a week. And it's the sort of thing where, as a tourist, you know how you can't really get an appreciation of every aspect of a city because there's just not, not enough time to take it all in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's the, that's the sense I got from Berlin. There's all these underground clubs and all kinds of fun stuff happening, you know, live music, uh, everything happening under the sun, and uh, I barely got to scratch the surface of it. Um, you know what? There's a very good chance that this summer I, I'm going to spend 
a couple of months in, in Berlin. Oh, nice. The uh, the thing I really enjoyed there. I don't. Did you hear about the Bear Karaoke? <laughs> no. What is that? Okay, so it's it's at this uh, this public park. I don't remember the name offhand, and it was called Bear Karaoke or Bear Cub Bear Pub Bear something Karaoke, and they've set it up. There's like a like a little uh, uh, pavilion or auditorium sort of thing. There's a stage and there's a microphone and there's the karaoke screen. And there's a host, and he, he does a, a public karaoke session. Um, the thing is, if you're terrible, the audience will boo you. They will throw stuff. And if you're good, you know, they cheer, they clap, and they scream, and they stand, and they sing with you. Um, it's kind of like singing in front of a real-life rock band or guitar hero. Um, so, but uh, the, the the day I went, most of the singers were really, really good. It really did feel like a, a Germany's Got Talent or some such. Um, but yeah, alcohol and, and just sitting out there watching cool stuff. It's very much a place that people watch if uh, if you enjoy that. Yeah, and you know, Berlin is definitely more expensive than Chiang Mai or other places, but it's I would I would think it's actually a little bit cheaper than being in, in most places in the U.S., especially in California. So oh, yeah. the, the goal, and they have a great, you know, entrepreneur scene out there, great digital nomad scene. Summer's beautiful there. So uh, don't, you know, I don't have any concrete plans yet, but definitely Berlin is going to be on top of my list to, home, you know, mm-hmm. kind of bootstrap out of or home, not bootstrap out of, but home base out of. Uh, and what I love about it the most is your short train ride from places like Prague or uh, Vienna or all these other cool countries uh, in Europe. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great base for the rest of the continent. If you're going to be on, if you're going to be in Europe for any length of time, you've got to, you've got to get around the country instead of just staying in the one city or country. Yeah, I like it. But, so yeah, actually, I, actually, I should mention uh, one of the Choose Away books we're working on. Um, it's going to be Berlin. It's going to be February 2016. Um, yeah, so that the, yeah, the the Berlin book should be coming out before you get there. Awesome. So tell tell everyone about Choose Away and and how does that work? Sure. Um, so One Weird Globe is my main blog. Choose Away is a series of interactive travel guidebooks. Uh, if you can imagine the Choose Your Own Adventure books um, mashed up with a Lonely Planet, what happens when they make a baby? Basically, um, are you familiar with the the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Uh, no, uh, but I've done Mad Libs. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books were uh, American children's books back in the day, uh, late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s, and so on. These were interactive books that said, they gave you a choice at the bottom of the page. So if you want to go into the palace, turn to page 10. If you would rather explore outside, turn to page 12. You didn't read them straight through like a normal book. When you saw a choice, you you know chose one page to go to, and then continued the story from there. Uh, I loved those books as a kid. I loved them. Uh, so about a year ago, I was writing uh, a guidebook about Bangkok, and I thought, what if you added some choices to this book? Instead of telling people you must go here, then you must go here, then you must go here, what if you gave them a choice in that? So I played around with the idea, and I came up with Choose Away. And what it does, you start a day and it asks you what time is it what time are you ready to leave your hotel or your hostel in the morning so before 9 a.m. 9 to 10 10 to 11 afternoon etc and then it gives you three choices which place do you want to start your day with in Bangkok you might have a palace you might have a temple you might have a museum dedicated to Batman 
And so you tap your choice, and you'll see the name of the place, a nice photo of it, the description, the address, the GPS coordinates, the admission fee, the hours, you know, and then the directions, which, you know, I make it a point to give really good directions. And then it asks you, what's next? And we have three more places to choose from. And so you'll be guided through up to five places in a day, and then you reach the end of the day, you can start another day, or you can look at the location index. So if you saw a place where you think, gosh, I wonder if that of the da is in the book, get to the location index, yep, there it is. And what I've been hearing from readers, about half of the readers I've, I've talked with uh, go through it on the fly. So they'll pull out their book, okay, we're finished at the Museum of Batman, what's next? And they'll pull it out, they'll scroll, they'll make their choice, tap the button, and then they see the next place, oh, wow, cool, all right, let's, get some, let's look at the directions and go there, put the device away. Enjoy the place, pull it back out. The other half of people are actually uh, planning their trip out ahead of time. So they're using the book to give them choices without having to uh, go through all 300 pages of the guidebook or whatever. But uh, yeah, so uh, right now there are books on Bangkok, Philadelphia, Sydney, Chicago, Amsterdam, Bangkok food, Prague. Uh, by the end of 2015, there'll also be books on Houston and Lisbon. Next year, we already have scheduled the Barcelona and the Berlin book. And each one of these is written by a local expert. Uh, it could be a local, it can be an expat. It's someone that knows the town like the back of their hand. Um, so no, no Indian writers here, no, no BS writing from the Internet. Um, I, get to, I, I look for people that really know an area like the back of their hand. And uh, one of the questions I'll ask people sometimes uh, is just, for example, where's the best place to get a pizza? And if you tell me Domino's or Pizza Hut or Papa John's, I'm just, we're done. Thank you for your time. You know what, that's actually <laughs> a, a great idea because, you know, without even thinking about it, even though I don't have, I don't eat, you know, pizza that much in Chiang Mai, you know, because I've been living there, I can, I can name two places. You know, I could say if you exactly. want American, American style, you got to go to Duke's. You know, if you want like a, you know, authentic Italian style, you want to go to, why not? And exactly. That's just something that I guess someone that knows the city well enough would just know that automatically. Exactly. Well, either they'll either they'll have been asked that sort of question before, or it will have that people will have asked them that, or they'll have wanted to know for themselves because at some point people will regard them as an expert. But yeah, one thing I've found um, is that the people who have the best answers for that, or at least the most thoughtful ones, tend to write the very best books. I like that. So you know, if, if anyone wants to kind of check out the site, it's chooseaway.com. And I'll have that in the show notes too. This is episode 93. Uh, I'm going through right now the, the sample that you guys have, which is right now it's the, the Bangkok one. And it's pretty cool the way it works. I mean, it's, so it's basically a guidebook, but you know, the very first page it says, don't read this um, from, from page to page. You know, make sure you click the links on the bottom. And exactly how you described it. You know, It says, you just woke up in Bangkok. Um, what time is it right now? And you can click... Uh, I could click before 9 a.m. And mm -hmm. then it would ask me, okay, I have two choices. What do I want to do first? Do I want to go to Bangkok's best-known tourist attraction uh, and see the Grand Palace? Or do I want to go to three parks for the price of none? So I guess it's a free park I can go to. Yeah. So I, for me, um, I guess I'd want to go to Grand Palace, give that a click, and there you have it. I have a, a photo of it. I have the address. I have a link to Google Maps. I have the mission price. I have a, a write-up to it of directions. And yeah, I, I can definitely see why you know this would be fun for people, especially. I mean, I think the way I would use it is 
I would just have it on my phone. Uh, when I show up somewhere, you're not really sure what to do. And it's almost like a game. It's like, a, like an adventure. That really is that, – that, that's exactly what I was going for. Uh, one thing I want to note is that there are versions for Amazon and as a PDF, so whichever uh, style of book you like. Uh, also, the uh, book does not require an internet connection. If you're worried about roaming, if you don't want to worry about finding Wi-Fi, nothing in the book requires internet. Obviously, if you want to connect to the internet to find the Google Maps, then of course you have to do that. But everything in the book is built into the book. You don't have to download anything else. There's no app packs or bundles or anything. It's all in the book. Okay. Easy. I like that. So I also think it's cool that you have expats or travelers write these books. Uh, and it's also a great way for you know for you to get experts. And, and so instead of it just being about the couple places you've been, now you can really scale it. Because I was kind of surprised when you said places like Houston or Philadelphia because I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, it's, well, what's actually happened is uh, I, I basically put it out there to my circle of friends when I first started this out. Uh, and I basically said, I want to cover world-famous cities. Not necessarily the most touristed cities, not necessarily the biggest, hugest cities in the world, but world-famous cities. And by that, I meant a city that you didn't have to say the country name in order to know uh, roughly which country it is. Most people know where Houston is. Most people know where Prague is. Most people know where uh, Barcelona is. Um, And since this is Travel Like a Boss podcast, I wanted to mention, if you know a city like the back of your hand, Look at the website, chooseaway.com. What it, how it works for writers is you make 70% of all royalties received from the, from the Amazon version, from the PDF version, and it's a co-publishing model. So if you apply and you're accepted, you get uh, a Word document and an Excel spreadsheet, and you just fill in the template for, for each place. And then I take that and I, I make it pretty and I add the choices. And uh, I make it a book. So, and you make, and again, the writers make seventy percent of all royalties received. I, that's awesome. I, I think that's a great way for you know for digital nomads or travelers if they're going to be in a city anyways, if they're living somewhere anyways, uh, and they see that you know there isn't a guide yet on that city, no matter no matter what it is, uh, they they can be the one to write it. Exactly. So once the they write the book, do they market it or do you market it, or is it a combination of both? It's actually a combination. Um, what ends up happening is that I have my own set of connections and you know expertise on social network or whatever. Uh, but every ex every uh, expert writer has their own set of connections in the city. And so what I ask it, what I ask the writer to do is to reach out to the magazines, the newspapers, the bloggers, the journalists, anyone they know in that city. Because they're going to have the they're going to have a better angle than a random guy living somewhere else will. So they're the local writer. Um, I ask them to handle uh, the local marketing where they can. Uh, I put it out on Facebook and a lot of the other groups and a lot more general uh, sort of marketing. And I ask them to help with the city marketing. Uh, and what that actually does is it, it gives the the journalist or whomever's telling a story gives them a better angle. If you can picture the headline, local author writes quirky travel book you know okay yeah it definitely makes sense and i think i almost think of choose a way as like a udemy but for travel guides where you know you know udemy or choose a way will do this marketing uh, direct to the site or maybe even to some of your you know your best-selling guides 
but every single writer, you know, and every single guidebook kind of helps lift up all the other books too. So if someone, yeah. yeah, I mean, someone buys the one for Houston and they like it, you know, why wouldn't they buy the one for, you know, for Philadelphia or to Bangkok or to Amsterdam? Exactly. As I, as I first started kind of standardizing the idea and the format, I thought of it. I thought of it being sort of like a Lonely Planet, in that when you get when you purchase a Lonely Planet, it's a franchise. It's a it's a standardized sort of based book. For better or for worse, when you buy a Lonely Planet, you know the sort of quality and the sort of content you're going to get. When you buy a Choose Away, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 35 to 40 places in that city. A carefully curated, chosen by a local expert. You're going to get good directions. You're going to get correct information, the addresses and phone numbers and all that stuff. You're going to get GPS coordinates and a link to Google Maps. Every book has this is just standardized across the board. So it ends up giving it, or it, yeah, that's the hope is to have a, a reputation that precedes itself eventually. <laughs> so uh, if you liked one book, you'll probably like the others. You know, I think this is great. And, you know, it, I mean, just the way, the, from what I see right now, um, I see a lot of growth in this where as a writer, as a digital nomad, you know, you might invest, you know, quite a bit of time writing the book. And right away, maybe right now, the audience isn't going to be huge. You're going to have to spend some of your own time and energy promoting it. Uh, but to me, it's one of those things where it's kind of valuable real estate because you're not going to have 10 guides to Chiang Mai or 10 guides to um, to Vienna. You know, once that slot is filled, it's it's full. It's done. Yeah, exactly. So I'll work with when I when I begin working with the writer. I tell them, uh, I give them a deadline, and I say, "Hey, you're probably a great person. If you get busy, if you can't finish it, if you need to back out for any reason, no hard feelings, but let me know because you're lo- you're you're basically blocking that spot for someone else that might come up and uh, and and do a great job." Um, the, there have been a couple of people that have dropped out for a few different reasons, like family and whatever. But um, yeah, as long as as long as they know and can kind of work work with it, then then we're okay. Um, the thing that uh, really makes it stand out, I think, in my mind, is that it's it, it's not really visible on the website and it's not visible in the books. But for most of the writers I've worked with, this is their first book. And some of them have had this idea of writing a book. They've kept a blog. Maybe they've started some stories, whatever. But this is their first book. And from the writer's perspective, when I tell them that I'm handling the editing, I'm handling the formatting, I'm, t- I'm handling some to most of the marketing, I'm handling Amazon and the whole publishing process, all you need to do is write a kick-ass book. And if you're a person who's been held back by... These fears. Well, how do I format the book? Where do I go to do that? Da, 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 da? When you hear someone's going to handle that for you without you know costing you any money, it's a it's a huge sigh of relief. Um, and so what I actually ended up, end up doing with with most writers is encouraging them in their not just their writing style, but this is how I'm editing the book. This is why I'm changing this. We're going to have to take these places out because of da da da. da. Uh, these places would be good replacements instead. Or um, when you give directions, make sure you give in this sort of order, this style, so it's clearer. And my hope is uh, a Choosaway book might be their first book or their tenth book, but they feel empowered by the process to go on and write their second or their third or their fifth. Um, and knowing how it works once the, the more times you can see it done, and when, when it's done with you personally, you're able to uh, 
and see the process and go, hey, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, I and, and think especially you know starting out, um, having that template to write it with, not having to deal with the editing and all that, and you know um, the publishing part of it, I think it's fantastic. I, I think you were giving people a great platform to write on. And honestly, if I had you know if I didn't have all my projects going on, if I was starting out and I wanted um, to write my first book or have some kind of another source of income, I would absolutely do this, uh, especially right yeah. now while like you can get these, these prime spots. I mean, this is to me like the ultimate real estate that is going to go away very quickly. Exactly. One of the, I think it was the, the Barcelona guy, uh, the author of the Barcelona book. He was, were Barcelona. One of the authors, I don't remember which one, um, mentioned how a writing a book is a great way of establishing their authority. Um, and, as a fellow, as a published author, it could definitely tell you that when you have a book to your name and it's on a subject you know well, it can only enhance that reputation. So if you're a tour guide, giving a tour in your city here, already saying, yeah, I've got a book on it. Now, maybe your book isn't always a fit for every tour, uh, but I've written a book about Amsterdam. Translation, I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this for years. I've been around, and I know the city really well, and all this other stuff. So there is a, a fair bit of authority and credibility that comes with, with writing a book, even a self-published book, even a book that's seen on Amazon that's not in a print uh, bookstore. Oh, definitely. Uh, and if anything else, just to satisfy your parents. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, like when my like my parents never really understood what I did online. You know, even with my e-commerce stores, they never really understood what it was. But when my I think it was my aunt or something had a paperback version of my my book. I think it was either Life Changes Quick or Twelve Weeks in Thailand. That's when my parents were like, "Wow, my son is an author," and they got off my back. <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. I, I I definitely have found it interesting that so much of what we do in the electronic computer internet space, it's so abstract. And you can explain it to people, but it's maybe they don't quite get it because it's all, again, it's abstract, it's up in the air. And sometimes it does, it really does come down to that paperback, gotta see it in my hands, gotta hold it in my hands sort of feel. Um, and that's why in 2016, I'm actually going to be looking at publishing uh, print versions of some books. Uh, it's going to be based on demand. It's going to be based on what people are are wanting, but um, with all of the with everyone, their mother, their auntie making ebooks now, um, I've actually seen quite a few travelers. They still revert. They still go to the printed guidebook. And having done a fair bit of traveling, I can see why. You know, you don't have to worry about battery life. You don't have to worry about attracting too much attention to yourself with some fancy, you know, electronic device. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking at printing uh, print books for some of the Choose Away books uh, for people to enjoy that way. Um, yeah, yeah the- definitely. And you know, especially if you already have the content, it's almost like another form of um, a, a potential revenue that you might not have gotten before. Exactly. And it, what, actually what I've also read with, uh, with uh, some, of the, some of the top e- uh, Amazon sellers is that if you have a print book, let's say you price your print book at $14.99. And your ebook is four ninety nine. All of a sudden, your ebook price looks very cheap. Yeah, a hundred percent, exactly. Ex- yeah. So, so if you, anything you can do to bracket or make a price look lower, um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, why some people not? do. With, yeah, exactly. Some people do it with an audio book. 
which doesn't really work for, for the format I'm, I'm, I'm developing. But, um, yeah, if you have a print book, um, if you, or you can have it also have an audio book as well. Either of those are different streams of income, but they also make the ebook look like the cheapest choice. And uh, sometimes that's exactly what you want them to go to because ebooks will pay more royalties. There's less uh, costs in distributing it or creating it. It's just a matter of your time and putting it out there. You know, I like it. G- great tips for everyone. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about is I saw in your bio that you're, you're married uh, and you're traveling around with, with your wife. Um, did you guys meet back in the U.S. or where did you meet? We actually met in South Korea. Uh, here's your flat world story for today. American meets Canadian in South Korea, gets married, moves to Thailand. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, level two of that story, uh, my wife's name is Laura, and she's a professional Korean to English translator. Uh, she was working with a Korean company who is working with a Bulgarian video game company, and the person she was in contact with was a German-born person living in Cairo. So to put this story together, a Canadian living in Thailand translating Korean to English for a Korean and Bulgarian video game company working with a, a German-born person living in Cairo. Wow. Once again, welcome to the flat world. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and is, but, is uh, Laura Korean-Canadian or is she, is she just... She is, she's she's 100% Canadian. Okay. Um, and yeah, so we actually met on okcupid.com of all places. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, the, and there's a funny story there as well. When you're traveling long term, um, you find love in the weirdest places. Some people find it in the hostel. Some people find it at a bookstore. Uh, some people get introduced by a friend. Um, and uh, there were actually quite a few women on the OkCupid website in Korea, and there, there still are. So if you're looking at, uh, at making a connection, OkCupid's great for that. Um, and I actually made a mistake with the website. Uh, on OkCupid at the time, they give you a percentage match based on your profile. So you'll see how similar or how different uh, the two of you are. Um, at the time, when I first started using the site, I said, okay, well, I want people to be, you know, pretty similar to me, similar interests and whatever. So I only really looked at matches that were like 80% or above and went on some dates, had a fun time, um, but eventually I realized I did not want to spend the rest of my life with my clone. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so uh, I had a lot of fun first dates, met some fun people, but uh, wasn't really, you know, getting that sort of connection. Um, so later on I said, okay, let's drop the whole percentage thing. Let's, let's try to do this in a more intelligent sort of way instead of an automated way. And what I ended up doing was reading the profiles. Um, and I, I presume this works for the same whether you're a woman looking for a man, whether you're a man looking for a man or a woman looking for a woman. You read what they have to say. And if you can link to a blog, if you can link to something else where they can really get to know you through that blog, that website, your Medium account, your Twitter, your whatever, um, the, the aim was to understand who they were and who, who was actually uh, on the site for serious. If you, were, if, you, if you just filled in the bare requirements to, to have a complete profile, probably not all that into it. If you've taken the time to write a thousand word essay on yourself uh, <laughs> on OkCupid, that's a good sign you're, 
you're probably serious about uh, finding someone on the site. Okay. So did you did you say that you linked them to your your blog, or did, would you look at the stock their blog? I would actually do. I would actually go both ways. I think I linked to uh, my travel blog at the time, and um, I also encouraged. As I began talking to people, I began to encourage them to share their uh, Twitter or their blog. Facebook seems rather personal to ask someone, but where posts on Twitter are public by default and a blog, a blog is also public by default, um, there's, not, there's not the same sort of, oh, I'm sharing my personal friend's photos with the world on Facebook. So I asked for Twitter and I asked for blog because those are both already by default, public-facing. Um, and if they shared them, then great. If they didn't, no big deal. But it, did, it was a, a great opportunity to see um, you know, a bit more of the person, different dimension. You know, I, I think that's so smart. And actually, you know, I think that's cool that, you know, that all of us listening to this probably have some kind of travel blog. And I think some people are scared that all their info is going to be out there. But for me, I think it's actually easier now that everything's just out there. And if somebody really wanted to get to know me or... You know, figure out what I've been up to, who I am. They could just Google my name. They could just go to johnnyfd.com, and it's it's all there. Exactly. Now, now, and for better or for worse, that does raise a, an issue of okay, how much of my stuff are they going to be reading before they before a first date, and are they going to come up and go, oh yeah, I love that post you wrote in two thousand nine about that trip to Bali, or da 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 da. That can come off sounding a little stalkerish, guys. If you've read everything she has to say and you know if you sound really really personal that can come off as rather stalkerish so guys yeah maybe just talk about the last post (laughs) keep that crap to yourself all right last posts the last few posts okay if she's mentioned in three or four posts over the years that she likes to dance awesome put that in the back of your mind as a dossier for second date stuff or if you might work it into your first day. Okay, I thought we'd go take a salsa lesson. All right, well, great point, dating it's... advice. L- let me ask you about your like your your plans. Have you and Laura talked about how long you two plan on keep traveling, where you want to end up living, things like that? Um, actually, yes and no. Um, it was our third date when I actually asked her if she wanted kids, and she said no. And she's and I asked, "Are you sure?" And she said yes, and I said great. We can now continue to our fourth date. Um, <laughs> it sounds uh, rather odd, but uh, neither of us really want kids, and um, we plan on being nomads indefinitely. Okay. Um, so, uh, as far as where exactly, right now we're in South America. We're looking to be here for at least a few years. Um, we've talked about taking uh, an epic road trip across the U.S. and maybe Canada. Uh, to see some of the fun stuff in, the, in those countries. Uh, beyond that, who knows? You know, it's, uh, it's we, we live a very independent lifestyle. We're both digital nomads. And I cannot tell you how awesome it is to be free. You know, I think that's awesome how kind of open you were about exactly what you wanted. I think a lot of people are scared to put out there, you know, that they 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 don't want kids or the opposite, that they yeah. really do want kids. Um, and, you know, we always just try to kind of say what we think the other person wants to hear but in reality Mm -hmm. 
you know, by us just putting exactly what we we want out there, maybe we're going to get that perfect person. Yeah. Well, well, actually, the reason that question came up was because uh, at the time, a Korean co-teacher, this was a Friday, after, Friday afternoon, uh, we were talking about our plans for the weekend, and my Korean co-teacher at the time, she was mid-30s, maybe mid-late 30s, three kids married, and I asked her, oh, what are you going to do this weekend? Like, And she's like, oh, I'm just going to stay home and take care of my kids. And she had this look of, I don't really want to do that, but that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I need to do. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be, gonna be I've, got a, I've got a hot date, going traveling. Um, at that point, her eyes kind of lit up. Oh, where are you going? And I told her, you know, the city we're going to and some of the places we're going to see there. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Well, why can't you travel? What's, what's holding you back? Well, and she kind of sighs and she looks at the picture of her kids on her desk and she's like, it's really hard to travel with kids. And didn't know how to tell her at the time that you can travel with kids, you can travel with one leg, you can travel with no legs, you can travel with one arm, you can travel with your hands tied behind your back, you can travel with nobody or anybody. Um, but she perceived that, the, that having a family was holding her back. And I remember asking her, did you and your husband talk about having kids before you know you got buried and and she was like no it only came up after i was pregnant with the first one wow and I'm, you know, like, I, I'm sure that happens a lot too and you know oh, yeah people just don't really think that far ahead and to be honest we don't most people don't know what they want and so i think it's really cool that both you and your wife knew exactly what you wanted you know even for me i i do want kids and, I, and because i want kids i want to get married but at the same time I want to do it on, on my terms. You know, I never want to be exactly. that person who feels like they're tied down or that their life is now over because they have this responsibility. Exactly. And, and no, I think one thing else that also happened, I'm 33. Uh, when we were dating, I was 29 and 30. And it was a, I guess for better or for worse, once you're out of your, your early to mid-20s and you've kind, of, you've kind of gotten past the quarter-life crisis, you kind of figured yourself out if not a complete direction which way you want to go, at least which directions you don't want to go. And through most people's quarter-life crises, they've seen either they've seen one of those two things. They've either seen the way in which they want to go, the thing they have a passion for, or they've seen what they consider horror stories from other people. They don't want to uh, spend the time making those same mistakes. So... Um, the, it was not. It's certainly not a mistake to have kids, and it's certainly not not a mistake to to raise a family. Um, but when you know from the beginning that you don't want kids, it makes it makes that ch- uh, choice uh, a lot easier to pursue. And think, also, yeah. for better first, when you're when you're dating, you don't really want to spend you know umpteen dates in only to realize there's a deal breaking issue. Um, <laughs> waiting around the corner. Oh, I'm Christian. Oh, I'm I'm Muslim. We're gonna have a tough time. Maybe you can make it work. Maybe you can't. Uh, or maybe I'm Christian. I'm atheist. We're gonna ha- we're gonna butt heads on religion all the time. So you know, find the, find out the deal breaking stuff sooner rather than later. And you know what? Possible. I think that's great advice, especially coming from someone who you know. There's a lot of people who who give advice who haven't done it, but the fact that you are happily married. Uh, the fact that you are, you know, traveling the world with with your wife and everything's working out, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, you guys are are like any couple, you know, I'm sure there's there's the fights and everything that, that do come up, but the fact that you guys made it work shows that not only is it possible, but you actually do know what you're talking about. 
Exactly. You know. And then it, it, it's funny with um, in, in the past couple of days here, as we're recording this, there was there were stories on Amazon about Amazon suing fake reviewers and other stories about uh, authors that are using ghostwriters to make their books and stuff like that, and it's all based on uh, the, the fakeries that the internet allows. And I remember thinking, I'm I'm totally good. You know, everything I put out is with my own name. Um, the stuff that uh, the authors write is not ghostwritten because their names, you know, nice big letters on the front cover. They're listed as the author on Amazon. Um, it really does allow you to uh, maintain a clean conscience about that. Um, and so anytime I read a story like that, I almost kind of cheer a little bit. Yay! Those fake BS books are getting taken down. Yay! Well, it's more I, I heard a, a quote once that they said, you should always tell the truth because it's the easiest thing to keep track of. Exactly. And exactly. I, and I, you know, I've also heard the, the opposite where you know, people say, you know what, fake it till you make it. And kind of thinking back, you know, it, it is a way to gain confidence. But at the same time, you know, if you want to do it the right way, and I think with less, you know, with less BS to deal with in the future, going back you know, from day one, if I could have just said, you know what, I'm five years old, this is who I am, I know exactly who I am, this is exactly what I want, and if I'd always just asked for exactly what I want, uh, life would have been a million times easier. So, mm -hmm. you know, everyone listening to this, I think it's great advice from Chris, just, you know, put out there exactly what you want, you know, regardless of what other people think um, is right or, or just, you know, normal to society. And I think most people listening to this, you know, at least for that part of it, We've stood our ground. We know that the standard nine to five job, the standard, you know, long term career, living one place, isn't the only way, and it might not be the best way. Exactly. And if if, if I think a lot, what a lot of people can can learn, um, it it can be an acquired thing of experience. It can it might be something you know innately, but knowing that there is always a different option empowers you. Because 100%. you know, too many people they go to the nine to five because that's all they've seen. They go to college because that's all they've seen. They might go to get their master's degree because again, that's all they've seen. Now, of course, we have the internet now. If you've done any reading on mainstream publications, you've probably seen at least one story of uh, the the digital nomad, the entrepreneur living abroad. This guy made a hundred thousand dollars last month on his computer while eating donuts or something like that. You've seen the stories that say there is another way, and these are coming through in – I saw one in – I think it was The Guardian a few days ago. Um, they're all over the place, and they're happening more and more frequently because more and more people are exploring those paths, and more and more people are finding success in those paths. Well, I mean even just um, this podcast, there's, you know, this is episode 93, so that means there's been at least 80 – entrepreneurs or digital nomads who have been doing things differently, who are successful traveling the world, doing some kind of online business. And actually with relationships, uh, I just started reading a book on the plane <laughs> over to South Africa. So I, I can't recommend it or not yet because I haven't gotten to the end. Uh, but it's by Neil Strauss, uh, who wrote The Game, <laughs> which the is game. a big, that was a, a big game changer uh, 10 years ago when I first read it. And I like his writing style, so I read his new book. Uh, I started reading it. It's called The Truth, and it's mm -hmm. about relationships where he is trying to decide if uh, he wants to be, you know, to be monogamous and get married and have that perfect one relationship, or if he wants to explore alternative relationships. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm only about halfway through, so I don't know how it ends, and I don't know how, you know, uh, 
I, I don't know if I could recommend it yet, but it does show you know right away that there are all alternatives out there. And by you just saying exactly what you want and not lying to yourself and not just saying you know not putting your profile out there, trying to be a hundred percent match with everyone, there is an alternative. Exactly, and if, and and honestly, the the more specific you can make that persona, like everyone talks in in the entrepreneurial world about the persona, your. Uh, the avatar, the person that's your perfect customer, or whatever that works in life. That works in life just as much as it does in the business world. I know that when I go to an entrepreneurial networking thing or a meetup or any kind of group or any kind of chance to meet other people, I know who I want to meet. That is that that isn't to say I won't meet anyone that doesn't fit that group, but those are the people I'll be naturally drawn to and attracted to first. Um, I personally want to meet. Uh, entrepreneurs in their 30-something, maybe their 40-something or 50-something. I want to meet people who've been living in the country or city for more than a year. Um, I want to meet people that have uh, an interest or a passion or a niche in some way. Um, trying to be a jack-of-all-trades is a, is a difficult proposition in the best of times. Um, if you're Michelangelo, then hey, go for it. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, at the same time, I also meet the younger expats. I'm also happy to chat with anyone that's new to the city or the country. Because um, at that point, it gives me a chance to feel smart. You know, oh, hey, man, where's the best place to do, to, to do da-da-da-da? Okay, yeah, that's an easy one. You just go down to da-da-da-da and, you know, go from there. there um, or you can have them read one of your travel books. <laughs> exactly. Actually, more often than not, I've actually given people uh, my the card to my blog and said, I actually wrote a post on that just a couple weeks ago. And since I don't remember it all that well, uh, just search for, you know, keyword, keyword, and, and you'll find it. You know, I've and, actually been doing that more and more too, uh, especially with anything to do with Chiang Mai because it's getting such a popular place and I've been there for so long. There's a lot of things I personally honestly don't remember. Like I don't remember directions to the the Red Mud Quarry where people go cliff jumping. I, I don't remember uh, how much it costs to go, you know, to XYZ place. So now I just send them a link. You know, I do a search on my own blog and then I just send them a link to it and it makes my life so much easier. That's that's actually why I started blogging so I could remember this sort of stuff. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Chris, dude, it's been it's such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really want everyone to check out your not only your blog, uh, it's oneweirdglobe.com, uh, but also these travel books, you know, f- for either if you are interested in traveling to any of these places uh, or if you want to become a writer and get 70% royalties, which I think is an awesome plan for everyone. So that would be chooseaway.com. And I'll have links to both of these as, as well as everything else we talked about in the show notes of episode 93 at travellikeabosspodcast.com. Chris, uh, any last words? Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. It's been, a, it's been a blast talking to you. If you're listening to this and you're going, how do I get started with the expat life? Reach out to me. I'm happy to answer questions. Seriously and sincerely. Feel free to ask questions. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of Medellin, Colombia. Uh, hasta luego and best of luck. Thanks. All right, ciao. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.